Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Shahidi, and this is the Evoke 20-Minute Market Outlook podcast, where we share our thoughts about the current economic and market environment. Thank you for joining us today, and please feel free to visit our website at evokeadvisors.com for a PDF version of our quarterly outlook and to learn more about our firm. Welcome to this third quarter quarterly market outlook. Uh, I'm Alex Shahidi, co-CIO at Evoke Advisors. I'm joined by um, the other co-CIO, Damien Basserie, as well as uh, Senior Vice President Michael Marco, uh, who's uh, very involved in our research uh, efforts here. So l- looking at the, the third quarter outlook, uh, why don't we start with by looking backwards? Um, so so Damien, we've, we've had massive stimulus that led to high inflation. We had a response with uh, significant tightening and all asset classes fell last year. Why don't you kind of give us a quick recap looking backwards before we shift our focus to looking forwards. Thanks, Alex. It's great to be here with you and Michael again. There are a lot of unusual circumstances that have contributed to the current economic backdrop. And this confluence of very unique events really it's not something we've ever seen before. There are some similarities to past periods of high inflation or wartime monetary policy, but never a situation where we've seen all of these things come together in the way that they have the last few years. So I think it's worth just spending a couple minutes to review the sequencing. So initially we had the pandemic. Obviously that caused a almost complete cessation in economic activity. In response, you had this very aggressive wartime type monetary policy and government stimulus, where uh, the government sends money to the population in a magnitude that we've never seen before, trillions of dollars distributed to the population, which has had uh, the impact of sustaining spending longer maybe than we all would have expected given the ultimate uh, response that occurred a couple years later when we had soaring inflation in 2000, late 2021 into 2022, the government understandably responded to that. The Federal Reserve raised interest rates more aggressively than we've seen since the early 1980s. They went from a 0% Fed funds rate to now north of 5%. Uh, and what you might imagine happening when you go from zero to five, if all of us were around the table a year ago and and someone would have said, what do you think would happen if rates would go from zero to five? I think we all would have said economy would collapse, massive recession. We're all dependent on these low interest rates. This is a, a, a very high debt load economy that is dependent on these low interest rates. It's been somewhat surprising that the economy has actually been quite resilient. And the story this year has really been that resiliency. So growth has held up better than we would have expected, given the the big tightening that happened last year. Um, and in and we've also seen inflation come down from the highs of over nine percent on the CPI to the most recent print being at four. And uh, a lot of people expect uh, the next print to be in the threes. So you've had this falling inflation, rising growth environment that has characterized this year, which has been very good for stocks. Um, you know, it's generally assets have have recovered to some degree, but it creates a lot of uncertainty around where we're headed from here. Uh, thanks, Damien. So looking forward, uh, if we if we kind of look at the conditions that brought us to where we are today, you had massive tightening. The yield curve is inverted, meaning longer term rates are lower than cash rates. Uh, normally that 
I guess in every case that's resulted in a recession. You had the debt ceiling, you know, issues. You had a banking crisis that that came and uh, supposedly went. And so there's a lot of people predicting a recession. You talked about it a little bit, but we haven't seen that. And growth has been resilient. Uh, do you feel like it's different this time, or is it? Does it just take longer to get there, or maybe there hasn't been enough tightening? What's the view currently? We do think that all the tightening that's happened will have an impact on the economy. You can see it in higher borrowing rates, which are impacting households, which are impacting corporations, maybe on a slower pace than everybody expected because this was not a credit bubble uh, type of environment into which the Fed tightened. This was an environment where household balance sheets were as healthy as they've ever been because of the pandemic response. And uh, generally, a lot of the spending is being financed through incomes rising. So you have a strong labor market, you have rising incomes. So that's an environment where maybe households are a little bit less sensitive to interest rates than they have been in past cycles. That could explain some of the lag in terms of the impact of the tightening. You know, lags are normal in these circumstances. Historically, lags could be 18 months from when the tightening occurs to when you start to see the real flow through to economic activity. Corporations, similarly, uh, many termed out their debt, and so they have lower interest costs for the time being. And we do expect that corporations, as they confront either floating rate debt where the rates are rising or the need to refinance and roll debts, they will face higher interest costs, which will squeeze them to some degree. They're also facing higher labor costs, which are probably squeezing margins as well. So we do expect corporate earnings to continue to deteriorate. They have been deteriorating. Ultimately, it's our belief that that should lead to higher unemployment as corporations have to deal with that rising cost and and shrinking margins. But we haven't seen that to a great degree yet. The labor markets continue to be quite resilient. Uh, Our thinking around that is is we think it's a combination of the lag of the cash on balance sheets generally and the healthier balance sheets and support from a relatively strong labor market. But we do think that those linkages should continue to work in the way that they've worked historically, albeit slower. One other factor that's kind of been a big driver in the background of why growth has been kind of more resilient than expected in the first half of this year, I think, has been the liquidity picture. I mean, coming into the year, we had you know interest rates going from 0 to 5%, and also the Fed's quantitative tightening program, where it's unwinding its balance sheet and selling assets at a pretty decent clip of $95 billion a month. At the same time, we had, you know, the debt ceiling brinksmanship. Um, We had an emerging banking crisis with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank that we thought was going to kind of potentially bring down the financial system if the Fed didn't step in. And so those were kind of all headwinds. But at the same time, the response to that from the Fed was to you know, take over Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, inject $300 billion worth of liquidity. And then, you know, when it came to the debt ceiling, the Treasury ended up spending down all of the money that it had saved up, essentially, in its Treasury General account at the Fed without reissuing Treasury bills because it couldn't legally do that. So it wasn't issuing bills and taking money out of the system that way. And so, you know, and then when you add on the fact that in response to the uh, banking crisis, interest rates fell across the curve. You had a response to these emerging crises that was effectively like an easing. 
the Fed injecting liquidity, the Treasury injecting liquidity via additional spending that wasn't offset by issuance, and um, the markets lowering interest rates across the curve, making it easier for banks to deal with their balance sheet issues and for borrowing to continue. You've kind of had this counterintuitive benefit in the first half of the year that we don't really expect to persist in the second half of the year as QT kind of picks up and continues without these um, offsetting uh, benefits. Uh, That's very helpful, Michael. Thank you. Uh, Are there other headwinds that either of you see potentially developing in the second half of the year? I think one aspect is the kind of credit tightening and the tightening in lending standards from banks that you know, we've seen happen and we've seen in the data, the kind of lending officer surveys, and that hasn't quite flowed through to the economy yet, but we expect to. And it's not just the small regional banks, though that has an outsized impact on small and medium businesses that tend to borrow from those banks, commercial and industrial loans, both because the rates are very high, they've affected demand for those loans, and because the banks don't really have the credit or the willingness to make the credit available, um, that credit growth is likely to continue shrinking. You know, we've seen kind of the first negative growth rates for M2, which is the money, su- like common money supply metric, another kind of headwind for the economy, because at the end of the day, spending in the economy is driven by the supply of money and credit. And if you have less money and you have less credit available, you're going to have less spending. And this is at the same time as you have corporations and then sectors like real estate where you have owners that are increasingly you know, facing refinancing and going to be in a cash flow negative position. They don't have the money lying around anymore that they've had historically to spend. And so you know, without this kind of credit impulse to the economy, uh, you know, as Damien mentioned earlier, it does kind of typically take, it's a, you know, classically termed a long and variable lag. So if it's typically 18 months be- between the tightening and the actual impact on the economy, you know, we're, we're well within that range and could easily see a pretty significant drop off in growth driven in part by that credit. And to some degree, that credit contraction, to some degree, we're already seeing that because we're seeing a lot of leading economic indicators in extremely recessionary territory. Manufacturing is in a terrible state. And if you look abroad, the Chinese economy, what was supposed to be a great reopening and a growth boom um, has been the opposite of that. And that is impacting global growth. Uh, the same thing is true in Europe, where manufacturing activity in Germany is particularly weak. So you're not getting demand externally, you're getting falling import prices internally, just as a sign of that uh, weakening demand. And, you know, corporate profits are already down. So there are, the, the picture for growth is decidedly mixed and, you know, doesn't look particularly strong looking ahead. On the other hand, you have seen kind of flashes of positive activity, notably the housing market, which after initially turning down, seems to have picked up um, both housing, housing activity, the construction of new homes, and the prices of homes have all picked up uh, in recent months. What's interesting is that the good news, some of the things that Michael just referred to, as well as the stock market doing well, and certain measures of inflation, which we'll talk about, but core inflation remaining relatively high and not coming down in the same way that headline inflation has, that all will likely lead, at least the Fed is saying that they are planning on tightening further 
this year. So to the degree that conditions are good, that could lead to further tightening, which then places another headwind on growth in our view. So we may not be done with that tightening cycle as much as we all want to be done with it. If we fast forward, what are your perspectives about the potential range of outcomes? How, how could all of this play out? What are the different scenarios? Well, one scenario is that we have a soft landing. I think that's what everybody's hoping for. So the soft landing means that inflation continues to come down towards Fed targets and we don't experience a deep recession. So it's a mild recession or even uh, or even we get just slower growth, but it, it is it is in an economic collapse. So that's what we hope for. And that's actually what we've been experiencing this year where growth has been resilient and inflation's come down. So that obviously is the best case and uh, and to some degree is discounted in equity markets for sure. And so that's one option. We think that's still relatively low probability because that's a, that's a tough thing to engineer. Another option would be that the tightening in a more traditional way flows through to the slowdown that we talked about, a contraction in credit, contraction in spending, and we get a recession, and it could be a significant recession. Uh, we still think that's a possibility, although it's it's obviously taking longer than anybody expected. And a third scenario would be that inflation remains stickier than we would like, and you get a situation where uh, you get higher interest rates than what's currently discounted. So if you look at bond yields, you know the ten year is around four percent. So there's a there, and current short term interest rates are much higher. So there's the expectation that interest rates have to come down. It could be that because inflation is stickier than we'd like, and in, interest rates stay elevated for longer than we like, and we deal with a, a stagflationary type of environment where that's a headwind to growth, but you know, but inflation continues to be a problem that the the central banks have to deal with. So that that's another scenario that uh, we think could happen. And so those are, you know, three very different scenarios. Number one would be a good outcome. And number two and three would be pretty challenging, particularly for an equity concentrated portfolio. Yeah, I, I think picking up off what Damien was describing, um, one of the dynamics we see and I think that became particularly clear in the Fed's uh, minutes from its FOM, the FOMC meeting in June is how committed the Fed appears to be to bringing inflation back to its 2% target and doing that in a timely way and basically not taking its foot off the brakes until that like pretty clearly is happening. And with the labor market as tight as it is, you kind of have unemployment rates hovering near record at or near record lows in the 3.5% range. And you know, a very tight labor market, wages rising at a 6% annualized clip, that money flows through to spending. And in the Fed's view, that is a big force driving inflation and keeping it higher than the Fed's comfortable with. And uh, the Fed seems to have pretty clearly committed to bringing inflation back down. And it believes it needs to get unemployment a little bit higher to do that. And so, you know, we see that as a headwind for growth going forward and for assets generally to the extent that the Fed needs to remain tighter. And with equities pricing, you know, they're at a forward PE close to 20 right now, which is, you know, pretty high relative to history and especially given you know, the like how late we are in the cycle and what the or we seem to be in the cycle and what the, you know, kind of growth headwinds look like going forward with uh, interest rates particularly high. And so I think all of these things pose uh, headwinds, as, as Damien mentioned, for kind of conventional equity bond portfolios. Yeah, the other potential outcome is if inflation proves to be stickier, 
it's possible the Fed may change their mind and revise their target. Because if you think about an, an economy that is highly levered, longer term, higher inflation actually is a, is a reasonable way to reduce your debt burden. And so it's very possible that that's another way this plays out, which is definitely not what's discounted in markets. That would be a surprise. Um, and maybe inflation stays higher for longer and interest rates stay higher for longer. The, the picture around inflation is interesting because we've had tight labor markets, we've had pretty resilient growth, and yet inflation has fallen fast. And so the question looking forward is, where does inflation go from here? So many of these policy choices are based on where inflation is going. And if you parse it out, there has been a normalization of supply chains, which has helped put downward pressure on goods prices. Uh, You've seen commodity prices come off significantly from their highs. Maybe that's influenced as well by weakness in China. Also, if you look at the core component, which is as I alluded to earlier, has remained pretty stable in the 5% range. A big part of that is housing. And the housing component, which is both actual rents and in, in, in imputed rents, that's a lag measure of what's happening in housing. Housing is clearly slowed, even though Michael said it may be bottoming to some degree. It's clearly slowed from the gangbuster years in the past couple of years. And so we do expect rents to slow from the 8% annualized pace. Uh, lower than than where they've been. And so that will have a, a an influence on core inflation to bring that down as well, despite wages remaining up, you know, as as Michael mentioned, they continue to rise at a at a five, six percent clip. So there are there are influences here where you could see inflation continuing to fall despite growth holding up. And it, I think it does create the potential for policy errors because you know these are lag measures. It's imperfect as a science in terms of trying to respond to these things. You know, the Fed has their dials. Other central banks are looking at similar statistics, and so there's a risk that they're looking at measures that are inherently lagged and they and they over tighten, or or they back off because of some concerns and they allow inflation to become entrenched. So that's something we're watching closely. I think. It's been good news that inflation's come down as much as it has. And I think there are some reasons to believe it can continue to come down. And so that could support a, a, a better market outcome. Yeah. So, so the summary is a lot of uncertainty around growth, uh, a lot of uncertainty around inflation, a lot of uncertainty about interest rates. So a, as an investor, that's a very challenging backdrop. Uh, obviously, diversification is important. But would you talk about uh, what that means and why it's so critical in today's environment? Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that stocks are vulnerable to higher than expected inflation and weaker than expected growth. We've had the opposite. We've actually had the perfect environment for stocks, which is one reason why they've done so well this year. We've had falling inflation, rising growth. I think as an investor, I'd want to be prepared for those types of outcomes and have some exposure in my portfolio, not just in stocks, but in things that can do well in a higher inflation environment like inflation hedges. So commodity-related exposure tips are offering about 1.8% above inflation today, which is very attractive if you look at their returns in a historical context. So that we think is a a valuable thing to have in client portfolios. As well, we would also make sure you have your protection against a recession. So fixed income, gold, uh, can be useful in that context. And then, of course, alternatives offer you the potential for less correlated returns and more active management. We think you're likely to get 
some form of distress here in the markets uh, as interest rates and other costs have increased. And so that will lead to opportunities for skilled active managers. And so we continue to invest a lot in the alternative portion of our client portfolios because we think that can further add diversification. But we would not be overly concentrated to just the stock market despite the bull market thus far this year. That's great. Why don't we end it there? Uh, Damian, Michael, thanks for your insights and look forward to chatting next quarter. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Alex. Thank you for listening to the Evoke 20-Minute Market Outlook podcast produced by Evoke Advisors. If you have questions, feel free to email us at info at evokeadvisors.com. And if you enjoy the discussion, please subscribe to this podcast to ensure you don't miss future episodes. And don't forget to forward today's conversation to others you think would also enjoy listening. This quarterly podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Evoke Advisors, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits. And listeners are reminded that securities trading, commodity trading, and alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors. Mm-hmm.